to us. You've just heard Mswanele uh, Manyi at least pronounce on what are the objectives of this new media entity. And I say new in the inverted brackets that he's just acquired it. Uh, he, he's spoken about it serving the best interests of South Africans and that it should be given a chance. That's fair play, is it not? Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I, I was very pleased to hear him say that they are that it will exceed the precepts of the press code. They hope that one of the first things he does as owner is, is recommit and make sure that the new age rejoins the press council again. I think that would be a very positive move. I think one of the things that's done their credibility damage is to have left the press council. Uh, and I think that they should recommit to the BCCSA as well. I think they do... You know, he does come in with a, a significant credibility problem on his hands uh, as far as the, the entities are concerned. And there's going there's to need to be some, uh, you know, neat stepping done about how they how they resolve and address that. Is the problem with with media is, is its strongest asset is its credibility. And the moment you lose that, you're you lose your audience. Mm. Let's talk about the credibility deficit because there is a sense that um, just within South Africa, because of the concentration, especially when we talk about uh, media ownership and uh, also that you find certain media groupings and journalists forming cabals who then uh, decide on who deserves credibility or not. At this point, how is he and are we going to be able to judge whether or not the credibility deficit is indeed being, uh, you know, eroded, that he's actually making headway or whether or not he faces, um, you know, a, a, a brick wall that refuses to move? Well, there's no doubt that he's going to face some significant and strong and legitimate questions. You know, the, the, the deal has come out of the blue it's not one where he's gone and bought it. It's very much, uh, you know, almost that they're lending him the money in order to buy it. So we're not clear that that means that they hand over all control uh, entirely to him or if they're still going to have a say. Well, you know, it's like your bank. Just because they give you a loan, it doesn't mean that they then have no power. So that's that's one of the first things. The second thing, of course, is that, um, you know, he's, he's made his political allegiances very clear, and I don't think that that's a problem. But it does mean that for... Uh, people to say, well, he now wants to make this a particular entity with a particular line. How is he going to achieve that given his previous stated uh, objectives? So I think that there's no doubt that he's, uh, he's certainly got his work cut out for him, or much to say, I should say, his editorial team have their work cut out for him. I think we've seen too many instances where owners think that because they own it, they should get involved. And we know from you know, our in public broadcasters that when the ministers tend to get involved, it, it leads to all sorts of harm in our in our content. Mm. And, and that's fair enough. But my other question back to um, the role that, because obviously the media that's also going to be looking over this particular media company and reporting on whether or not it's making um, a legitimate headway. And my question was to how uh, they've been seen as forming cabals who either approve or don't approve based on either ownership or uh, control or, or just simply uh, whom journalists believe deserves to be given credit or not. Well, I mean, I, I don't buy this idea that they sit around in a small group and say these are the people that are going to be doing this. You know, I think that what is true is that there are certain centres of power and that people determine uh, who has power in society. And by and large, what our research has shown is that 
our media, irrespective of ownership across the board, tend to give too much speaking power to too many of the same people. Uh, you know, we tend to hear far too many voices from government and not enough ordinary citizens and civil society groups. And that's across the board. You know, that's not something that is determined by one or two uh, media companies. That's, that's across. If they're going to try and shift those things, they are going to really have to try and do something fundamentally different. But I'm not sure that that is uh, on the cards. Mm. Okay, so I was referring to um, a certain assertions that have been made in the public uh, uh, in the public platform. So let's talk then about so-called content revolution. What is required uh, in generally in the media space uh, that uh, this new media grouping could tap into to ensure that there's greater representativity of the South African people, as you've said, in the media spaces, that there isn't that um, uh, elitism in the views that are solicited or articles that are published or the angles that are taken. So, I mean, you know, that should ideally actually be the role of the public broadcaster and small community media. I'm not sure that that's the role and entity for a purely commercial enterprise, which ANN7 and the New Age are setting themselves out to be. That said, I think one of the strengths that the New Age does have is that they have committed themselves to bringing ongoing coverage to all of the different provinces. And in as much as some of that might be press releases that are put down as, uh, as, uh, as articles, at least you start to get a better sense of what's happening in, in and around the country. And I think that there is a, that there's certainly interest, interest in that. I think, you know, critical to making sure that we hear the voices of all people is having a properly functioning um, and effective public broadcaster. So to that extent, the SABC's role in this is actually just as important as it is for INN7 and and the New Age. I Mm. guess what they've got to do is they've got to then try and persuade advertisers and those with money why covering marginalised people and marginalised communities is something that's going to make them money. Just a quick and final uh, question, Mr. Bird, exactly on that issue. And I, I know you keep on referring back to the role of the public broadcaster, but there has been an assertion that if we talk about accountability and regulation, that maybe there should be a middle ground, even though uh, public uh, private entities have to answer to their shareholders, that maybe there should be some commonality, especially in serving the great public. Yeah, look, clearly I think I would support that view and certainly broadcasters have to do that. They've all got quite stringent uh, license conditions that require these things and critically, I think, and most importantly, the, the majority of broadcasters and print media houses have all signed on to their respective uh, codes of conduct and ethics and all of those things require them to access diverse views and voices and make sure that they do so in a manner that is in line with generally accepted standards of journalism. So, you know, that is the common standard that all of them have agreed to abide by. Of course, it doesn't get it here to all the time. And, you know, I think that that's what we have to hope at a minimum. That's what uh, um, ANN7 and the New Age will recommit themselves to. Thank you so much for speaking to us, uh, William Bird, Director at Media Monitoring.